Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including house churches, gathering times, and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Jennifer Roth. Welcome this morning. Hey, as I was praying, as Sean was leading us at the very beginning of that worship set, and I asked God, what is... What's the burden on your heart? And, and I was just overwhelmed by a sense of weariness as a, as a community burden, really. And then as, as Rob was leading us through communion, I just, I felt like Jesus was saying, Jennifer, this is my way through the weariness. And so I just, I wanna offer a blessing to the weary today. So if that's you, you don't have to stand, but you might wanna open your palms on, on your lap in a place of receiving Your weariness might be personal. It might be literal physical tiredness. It might be emotional. Just been a long time since you felt whole. It might even be that mental fog. I don't know what your weariness is, but if this is a word for you, here's a blessing from Matthew 11 today. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. And Jesus, you say that your yoke is easy to bear and yet some of us spend so much time trying so hard to please you and please others. And you say that the burden is light and yet that's not the experience we walk with. We walk with heavy burdens and we want to learn how the gift that you gave us in the shedding of your blood that we remembered today through communion is a gift that is your way for the weary because you did not intend for us to bear the burdens of the world because you bore the burdens of the world. So Lord, for those in the room today who are bearing this community burden of weariness, we lift up our eyes to you and we ask you to fill us to teach us, to show us the way that you would have us live because you say that you will give us rest. And God, we need your rest. And so enter this place and us today. Amen. If we haven't met before, my name is Jennifer. I am one of the pastors here on staff, and it is truly a joy to have you here with us this morning. I'm so glad you're here. If you're joining us on live stream, glad that you're here in that way as well. Um, I want to tell you a story about something. So... Several months ago, Rob, when he was preaching, he was giving us his handles, right? Those application points to put into practice some of what he's been talking about. And he'd been talking about um, culture and and understanding and, and being aware of people who come from a different background than ourselves. And one of his suggestions was that maybe we try to learn a language that we don't know. And I'll be real honest, my first thought was, oh, I learned Spanish in high school. I'm good. I got that one. And then not long afterwards, Adela, who many of you have met, began working in our department. And as a coworker, I began to realize that Adela comes to work every day and does her work in English, which is her fourth or fifth language. Could I not at least learn how to say good morning in Swahili? (laughs) Zasbui, I learned that one. 
And as I began to just practice and laugh with Adela as I tried things, and I'd say, how do you say this? I began to remember that I actually love languages, and so I bought myself an English Swahili parallel Bible so that I could start to see Bible verses in Swahili, and I made myself a journal, and I've started memorizing some of my favorite verses in Swahili just as a way to engage in a different language, in a different culture, and with a friend of mine. And this morning, as I was sitting with the Lord and looking through that journal of Swahili verses, one of them popped off the page and I went, oh, God, that's what you're doing this weekend. That's your heart. That's the piece that ties all of this together. And so I want to read it to you. I'm not going to try to quote it to you because I don't have this one memorized yet. And plus, with all the pressure in the cameras, I would just flop it. So I'm going to read it to you. So here it is. Why, Brani, sita kuminatisa, tunalo tamayini ili kamananga yarrojo ilio, imata nathabiti. What I think it means, because I looked it up, <laughs> it's Hebrews 6.19, and it says, but we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, strong and secure. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. In the burdens that you prayed about, when Sean invited you to give the things to God that were coming with you into this place, in the things that came to mind during communion when you invited Holy Spirit to speak to you about what is happening in your life, in those things we have this hope as an anchor for our soul and this hope is strong and secure. We've been in a series about uh, kingdom of heaven, kingdom come. We've been talking about the kingdom of heaven and how if this is how God established his kingdom, then as his followers we want to know what it is what the characteristics of his kingdom is so that we can recognize and so that we can partner with him in his kingdom. Brian last week turned the corner for us in this series and launched us in these parables, the kingdom parables in the book of Matthew, and we're going to continue on that with the parable today that is in Matthew chapter 13. If you want to look that up on your Bible app or in a Bible, um, you could get that ready. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 13. But before we dive into that passage, I want to bring up that there are some times in life that things don't look the way we wanted them to look or the way that we expected them to look. In some permanent but funny ways, take a look at some examples here in some tattoo fails. Wait for it, take another look just for a second. Yep, regret nothing except the missing T. You can regret that for as long as that permanent tattoo is on your body, regret knowing. Or another one with a missing letter, take a look. I'm awesome without the E. It didn't look probably like the way that person expected or wanted it to look. Or here's another one. Two wrists with hearts and matching. You know the purpose was to just show that their love was eternal. But the puzzle pieces will never match. They're both corners that don't fit. Doggone it, it doesn't look the way we wanted, right? Or my very favorite, here you go. Megan. Oops, I meant Holly. <laughs> Something that didn't look the way that we expected or the way that we wanted or went the way that we thought it was going to go. And while these are funny and we can laugh at them, are there not other things in your life that don't look the way that you wanted them to look or maybe the way that you expected them to look? Some of them might be what you've been praying about this morning. I think this parable that we're going to read together today is going to speak to the anchor of hope that we have in the midst of those things in our life that don't look the way that we wanted them to look. Let's read together in Matthew chapter 13, um, starting in verse 24. I will read this to you. If you want to follow along, it's also on the screen behind me. 
Here's another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field, but that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the fields where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked? No, he replied. If you'll uproot the wheat, sorry, no, he replied. You will uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and put the wheat in the barn. This is God's holy word. As we look at this parable together, I want us to set a little bit of foundation. First of all, later in Matthew 13, when Jesus is explaining this parable to his disciples, he lays out who the players are in this story. So the farmer is God, the field is the word, the wheat, the good seed, are those who follow God, the children of God, and the weeds are those who follow Satan, the children of the evil one, and the harvesters are God's angels at the end of time. So the other piece I want to point out is that when I first read this, the picture that I had in my mind of weeds in the wheat looked a little bit like this. A big field of wheat with these obvious green weeds growing up in it. But at our last preaching team, Ephraim pointed out that the the weeds in this passage are actually a specific word for a specific type of weed that we call Darnell. And it actually looks a lot like wheat. Take a look at this wheat sheaf that we see up here, just a single thing. That's what wheat looks like, right? Here's what Darnell looks like. Very similar to wheat. And so it's not just the obvious weeds that we're talking about today, but it's also the subtle weeds. For Darnell and wheat at their earliest stages, it's sometimes even hard to distinguish which is which. And so as we look at this parable and what Jesus says about the kingdom in this parable, we have to remember that sometimes it's a very subtle difference between the weeds and the wheat. So I want to ask you as we dive into this parable today, what are some weeds that you see around you? Evidence of the fact that there was an enemy who sowed some weed in the field of the world that is your sphere of influence. Some of them you may have already been thinking about and talking with God about today. For me, one of those weeds in our society that when I see it, to me it's evidence that there is an enemy who was sowing weed in the good field is the homeless situation in our city. I drive by certain spots and pockets of tents and my heart just breaks. And I think that is evidence that there is an enemy who was sowing weeds in God's field. And so as we go through this parable and we look at what God is teaching about his kingdom, I want us to keep in mind that weed. For you, it might be something personal, interior, like it doesn't look the way I wanted it to look. Or maybe it's something in your relationships, whether it's your family or your extended family or your work, something in relational conflict, you're just looking at that going, it's not the way I thought it would look. Or maybe it's something in our society or culture that you look at and it just, it's hard for you to see and to grasp and to comprehend. And yet, in this field of weeds, God has said, let them grow together for this time. And why would he say that? So let's look together at this parable. When we ask ourselves, what do we learn about the kingdom of heaven from what Jesus has said, 
I think one of the things we need to ask is, how do we live as wheat among the weeds? If Jesus said, let them grow together, and we are his children, then how do we live as that wheat among the weeds? And what I wanna propose is that living as wheat among weeds requires seeing beyond the weeds. When we see that, that isn't what we expected or what we wanted, can we see beyond it? Because living as wheat, God's children, among the weeds that the enemy has planted in this field that is our world, is going to require that we can see beyond the weeds around us. So the first thing that we see is that the kingdom of heaven has a good king. The kingdom of heaven has a good king. The farmer sowed good seed in his field. We see this in Genesis in the creation story where day after day after day it was said it is good, it is good, it is very good. We see this in the Psalms, even in the brokenness of what the world was at the time of the psalmist. Over and over again they said God is good, he is faithful, his faithfulness endures forever, his love endures forever. They sing of the goodness of God. Jesus paints the picture in John 10 of God as the good shepherd caring for his people. And in James he says that All good gifts come from the Father above. And why does it matter that the kingdom of heaven has a good king? It matters because if we don't have a theology that is very clear on the goodness of God, we're going to be too prone to discouragement and disillusionment and resentment and bitterness and offense that leads to the cynicism that Brian talked about last week that is the hard soil So if God is good, but we live in a place where sometimes it is hard to see his goodness, if we don't remember that he is good, we're going to lose sight of the kingdom that he has planned for us. So how do we keep sight of his goodness in light of the weed patch that we live in? And I wanna say that one of the ways we do this is by living with gratitude. Psalm 100 Verses four and five say, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And I wonder, is that a call that when we come into the house of God, we're supposed to give thanks? Or is it an invitation and a promise that when we give thanks, we will be ushered into the presence of God? Because gratitude, noticing God's goodness, looking for God's goodness, digging for places where we can see his goodness is the way that we will remember that we are not alone in this weed patch, but we are wheat, we are the children of God, and there's a place where we can lift our eyes to not lose sight of the kingdom that he has before us, even though we are growing in a field with both the weeds and the wheat together at the same time. The kingdom of heaven has a good king, and when we rehearse his goodness through gratitude, we will keep sight of what is beyond the weeds. Second thing we see is that the kingdom of heaven has an enemy. It's just so clear. Instantly the farmer said, you know, the workers are going, how did did weeds get in your field? Didn't you plant good seed, God? And he said, there's an enemy who did this. In Revelation, it tells us the story of how Satan took a third of the angels and together they rebelled against God and there was a battle that waged in the heavenly and raged in the heavenly realms and then Satan and his, the third of those angels were cast down to earth and we see him popping up in the first pages of the stories of God's story on earth in Genesis chapter three when he comes in the form of a serpent to tempt Eve and to say God is not good because you see the enemy is against everything that God is for. And we have a kingdom with a good king, and yet there is a liar, Jesus called him the father of lies, who is 
pulling out all the stops to try to convince everybody in the field, everybody in the world that God is not good. And if we don't have a theology that understands that there is an enemy actively undermining the good that God wants to bring, we are going to be too quick to attribute attitudes and actions and outcomes to God that are not God's, but that are the result of the enemy in the field. If we forget that there is a spiritual battle raging, we are going to lose sight of the kingdom that God has set before us in our discouragement and our disillusionment. And quite honestly, this can lead some people into that cynicism of, is God even powerful? Is God even good? If this is what God allows in his world, then can it even be true? It's the same lie that he told Eve in the garden. God isn't good. He didn't say this for your best. He just wants to keep you from attaining your best. We have to hold together that God is good and that there is an enemy. So how do we live in light of this truth to keep us from losing sight? And I would say we have to remember what Ephesians 6 says. It says, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principalities of this dark world. Friends, think about that burden that you're praying about or that weed that you've thought about, that thing in your life that doesn't look the way that you thought it should look. Are there people attached with that burden? Are there people attached to that weed? How does it change your perspective on where you sit right now if you remember that your battle is not against that person? Your battle is not about what that person is saying or doing or their hurt. Your battle is about the powers in the spiritual realm that are influencing that. Our battle, the, way, the place that we stand firm is that we stand firm in faith. That's another sermon, but if you want to look at how we stand firm in light of the fact that our kingdom has an enemy, go to Ephesians 6 and read through that a few times and see the tools that God gives us to stand firm in the face of this enemy. Faith and truth and righteousness. I want to pause for a minute and just go back to that weed patch that I talked about. For me, one of them, the homeless situation in our city. And what happens if instead of just being overwhelmed by the loss and the brokenness and the, honestly, sometimes the futility of how, what could I do to help, and I were to carry a place of gratitude that believes that God is good, even though this is existing in our world, and I were to carry a thing of gratitude of, wow, God, thank you for the people who are actively pouring their lives out to help and to serve, like Salem Leadership Foundation and Church in the Park and UGM and Samanka Place. What if I could look at it through the filter of spiritual battle and allow a holy discontent to rise in me that says, no, this does not line up with the character of a good God. This is evidence of the weeds in the field and there is something that the kingdom is bringing to bear. It gives me a different place to sit rather than just the futility of, I don't know what could poss I could possibly do to influence this. We know that the kingdom of heaven has a good king and we know that the kingdom of heaven has an enemy and we can see in this parable that the kingdom of heaven invites patience and grace. The kingdom of heaven invites patience and grace. The farmer says, do not pull up them because when you pull up the weeds, you may root up the wheat. And in this, he lays down the foundation for where you and I live with weeds and wheat growing together in the same field. It's a call to wait. And doggone it, we don't like that, right? 
If we can see something that's not the way it's supposed to be, and let's be clear, it is a weed. The weed are those who follow the ways of the evil one. It is the influence of the enemy. It is not seed. It is not truth. It is a weed, and yet it's growing at the same time, and we don't see God doing anything about it. And like the psalmist, the how long, O Lord, will you allow evil to prosper? And yet, what if we could change our perspective to say that when I notice that weed, It is actually a reminder that there are still those in this field who are going to come to repentance who have not yet come. Because in 2 Peter 3, 9, here's what it says about this. It says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, that promise of perfection and eternity with him. No, he's being patient. Why? For our sake, for your sake. Because he does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. So if God is willing to be patient, how do we join him in being people of his kingdom who are patient and who extend grace to the weeds that we see? Because if we don't remember that the kingdom invites us to patience, we're gonna lose sight of the kingdom in our impatience to see perfection come. So how do we live with the patience and grace that God calls us? It's like what it says in Colossians chapter three. Because we are holy, because we are dearly loved, we're invited to clothe ourselves with compassion and gentleness and humility and patience, to bear with one another when things are not going the way that we want, to forgive whatever grievances have been done against us. See, Jesus gave us the way to live as wheat among the weeds, but in order to do that, we have to be able to see beyond the weeds to who the king is, to where his goodness is at work to be reminded that our battle is in the heavenly realms and that his call to wait does not mean that his kingdom isn't coming, it just means that it's not here in perfection yet. It is here in the in-between, but it is not in the end times yet where that perfection is fully known. The next thing that we know about the kingdom of heaven is that it's not put off by the weeds. Here's the thing. You and I, we see those weeds, and and I'll just hold myself in this one. I freak out. I panic. What rises is fear. God, where's our world going? How is this going to work out? How, How can we possibly reconcile all the differences in our world right now? What's happening to our society? What's happening to my children? What are they going to be taught? What kind of a world will my grandchildren grow up in? Trust me, I can let this thing play out a long ways. And yet the kingdom of heaven is not put off by the weeds. The farmer wasn't all up in alarm about the weeds. He said, no, let them grow together. And eventually they will be harvested. But right now we're in the time before the final harvest. It reminds me of Jeremiah chapter 29 when the exiles from Jerusalem went to Babylon and they were told, stay Thrive, build homes, marry. This is where you're going to live. It's not what any of them wanted, and yet it was where God was calling them to be. Or in Psalm 23, it says, you you set a table, you lay a table before me in the presence of what? My enemies. Or even in John 10.10, where Jesus calls uh, the enemy the thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy, he says, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. In the same place, at the same time, we have both a thief 
and life to the full. They exist together in our lifetime. So if the kingdom of heaven is not put off by the weeds, how do we live in a way that we're not totally turned sideways by the weeds that we see around us? Because if we don't remember that God is not afraid of the weeds, then we're gonna lose sight of him in our own fear. Romans 12 tells us to not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So in your sphere of influence, in the field that is your world, when you notice that you are being influenced more by the weeds than influencing those weeds, that's a time to pull back and to ask God to renew your mind, to remind you through his spirit of what the truth is, of what his kingdom is, of what his call is on your life, so that you can be transformed and not conform to the patterns of the world. Hebrews 12 tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Because if he began the faith in us, if we are his wheat, if we are his children, then he will perfect that in us. And so he will give us what we need to live as wheat among the weeds, but we need to fix our eyes on him. The last thing that we see in the parable is that the kingdom of heaven will have a harvest. And for those of us who are justice-minded, who maybe are perfectionist, who really don't like seeing those things that don't look the way we thought they would look, that don't reflect the character of God, we have the hope that a harvest is coming. There will come a time when righteousness and justice will prevail. It says in Matthew 13, Starting in verse 41, when Jesus was explaining this parable, he said, the son of man will send his angels and they will remove from the kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. There is coming a time when everything will be put to rights. What does it look like to have this hope? The hope of a good king who is not afraid of his enemy, who is patient, not just with the weeds around us that are the problem, you know, those problems, but with us, he's patient with us in the way that we are becoming who he made us to be. What does it look like to have this hope as an anchor for our souls in the weed patch that is the world around us right now? There is a harvest coming. Righteousness and justice will prevail. And in the meantime, we are called to live as wheat among the weeds, lifting our eyes above the weeds to see Jesus, to see God's goodness, to see his truth and his patience and his grace with us. So how do we live in view of this coming harvest? I put this one up on the screen. Read it with you here. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless. Friends, Jesus had an accurate view of the weed patch and he had compassion on us. Like sheep without a shepherd, he called us. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. Friends, do you have a pain in your life? Ask the Lord of the harvest to heal it. 
Do you have someone in your life who's wandered far from him? Ask the Lord of the harvest to bring someone who can speak into that person's life. Do you have someone in your life that's just a thorn in your flesh? Do you have a situation that you just don't know what to do with? Ask the Lord of the harvest, the good king, the God, the farmer, to give you what you need to live this day in what he has created you to be in the place he has created you to live in the time and in the space that is your sphere of influence, that is your field, that is your world. Friends, God is not absent in this presence. Yes, he is allowing the wheat and wheat to grow together at this time, but he is not absent and he has given us ways to see beyond the wheat, the weeds, in order to live as wheat in his kingdom. When I drive to work every day, I drive down Market Street and I make my way under that overpass at I-5. And for many of the months of Um, 2021, there was a homeless camp on both sides of that underpass, just packed with tents. And as I drove by, honestly, I'll tell you some of my first reactions. This was kind of a daily mind cycle, right? The first thing is just, oh, this is so hard for those who live here. And then it was, and it's ugly, and it's dirty, and I don't like being reminded of the pain, and I kind of wish that I just didn't have to see it so that I could forget that this kind of pain existed. And then I go, oh, but God, that's not my heart. I don't just want it to be hidden if this is what's true in our community, but I don't know what to do about it. I don't have a solution. I don't know. And there, this sense of futility was so strong in me day after day after day. And one day as I was driving past that um, homeless encampment under the underpass there at I-5, God gave me a new thought as I drove under. I had been in my spiritual um, practices, in my time with God, I'd been spending a lot of time in the Lord's Prayer and just praying through the different phrases and the meaning of the Lord's Prayer. And as I drove under the underpass that day, what jumped to my mind was, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I realized, oh, If I take that as a prayer, I don't even have to know how to fix the problem in order to be able to begin to have an influence in this place. Because when I pray, God, let your kingdom come, what I'm saying is there's a lot of things happening in this homeless camp that are not according to your kingdom, that don't reflect your goodness, that are evidence of the enemy planting weeds in your field. And I don't have to know how to fix it in order to say, Jesus, let your kingdom come here. When I pray, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I'm acknowledging that there is a will that God has for this people and that his redemptive work can be at play in that place even when I can't fathom what the first step might be to try to help or influence or be a piece of the solution in that. And as I began to pray that prayer, I realized that prayer was changing my sense of lethargy and of futility to hope. And not just hope, but purpose. Because I had something that I could offer. And so my days changed because as I drove over that under that underpass and my thought process started about, I don't know how to personally engage with this weed in our society God had given me a tool to lift my eyes above and see him and turn it back over to him on a daily basis. Maybe that burden that you've been thinking of today, that thing that doesn't look the way that you wanted it to look, that place where you need an anchor of hope in your life, maybe God can turn that into something where he can lift your eyes above those weeds to him and so begin to transform the experience that you're having on a day-to-day basis. How I want to finish today is I want us to actually pray 
that Lord's Prayer together. We've been praying it every week in this series, and so um, because it's such a key anchor to the kingdom of heaven. So would you stand with me as we pray the Lord's Prayer aloud together today? And as you pray it, would you consider how it impacts and applies to the thing that you are carrying in your life? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.